Hey, when that Jesus actually see. Now, if you're not saved, you won't see Jesus that day. But there's a day that you'll see him. It's called the white throne judgment. Don't die without Christ Jesus. Well, it's our privilege to have Brother Marlon Bontrager and the Bontrager family with us. And uh, preacher, I don't know how we introduce you, but I'm going to introduce you as Marlon Bontrager and the Bontrager family come to sing for us. And so uh, you give close attention. Listen to not only the great music, but the words of the music as well. Yes, and good evening. Thank you so much for coming out tonight. It's good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. We are spe nothing special. We're just common Iowa farm folks that love the Lord. And it's our first time at Central Baptist, and we hope tonight that uh, the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit will be in our midst tonight, as I'm sure it will be. And we're so glad for you opening your doors to us throughout the evening. If you want to sing along, by all means, feel free to do so. And let's worship him together, shall we? Shall be our hope through days of revelation. 
been here before I'm just going to take a little brief time just to tell you a little bit why we do what we do and what we're about uh, we are farm folks and I was in sales busy gone a lot financially things were going really well but in 2001 2002 right in there I made a radical u-turn sold my business and decided to go back to the farm and milk cows and live happily ever after okay I love dairy farming had no plans to go on the road with music at all it wasn't even on my radar and uh, I wanted to be there to disciple my boys instead of being gone all the time and so forth. Well, my wife would take our children and go to local nursing homes on a weekly basis. And by the way, those of you that have young children, that's a great place to start. Those folks are very forgiving, okay? And if you hit a wrong note or something, they don't mind. They're just glad that you showed up, okay? So she would do that. Then we started going to Iowa City to a soup kitchen and sing to the guys that come in off the street and sing with them and share the gospel with them. And then about 17 years ago, a gentleman from South Carolina called me and said, you know, I heard about you folks, and we're getting ready to do a prison revival, and we need somebody to come do some music for one of the evangelists. So we packed up our van, and I think we had about seven or eight children at the time, and uh, I had no idea what I was getting into. And the first night behind bars, I remember asking the men for a raise of hands. I said, how many of you men are fathers? And almost every hand in the room went up. And when I saw that, it really struck a chord with me because my first thought was, there's that many men away from their families. And technically, that's not it's partly true, but not totally. They're there as a result of the broken home. And that cycle repeats itself one generation after another. And I know we've got some people here in church that are involved with prison ministry, but I'll just share a quick statistic with you. Did you know in 1985, there was 110,000 men in our nation behind bars? 
Today there's about 3.5 million. But equally disturbing is in 1985 there was 90,000 children in daycare. Today there's 2.9 million in the daycare system. And my thought is this, as we as Americans have looked at children as a curse instead of a blessing, we as a nation are reaping what we've sown. And those of you tonight that have children at your laps or at your sides, you're raising tomorrow's forefathers. You have a big responsibility. But the good news is God did not leave us empty-handed. Amen? He gave us his scriptures, okay? So since that initial time 17 years ago, God has opened many doors for us. And today we travel throughout the U.S., Canada, Mexico. And we try to be back at the farm every spring for planting and at the fall for harvest. And we still milk cows. They're not on remote control. We have a good employee that takes care of things while we're gone. And we just kind of hope our phone doesn't ring, okay? The young lady to my right is our daughter, Elizabeth. She is 17 years old. She is a great cook. She is not for hire. And uh, one of the things I appreciate about her is it doesn't seem to matter where we go, but the time we leave, she usually makes a couple new friends. I would like to introduce my older brother, Denver. He is 21 years old. He does a fantastic job keeping our bus in great shape, doing all the mechanic, mechanical stuff for that. He enjoys reading and eating dark chocolate. And his highlight of the year, I think, will be his wedding in three weeks and six days. Well, I get to introduce our dear mother. I'm very grateful for her. Without her, the rest of us who are up here wouldn't even be here. But most of all, I'm thankful for the incredible blessing of a godly mother. We were blessed with just the mother who taught us to fear and to love the Lord. i got to say one thing about Denver's mother, which I call my wife, okay? We were in Fort Worth, Texas a couple years ago, back before any of the children got married. And somebody came up to us after a service, and the lady came up to me, and she goes, Mr. Bontrager, I feel really sorry for you. And I said, why is that? And she goes, well, you travel with these 11 children and no wife. That's got to be a tough job. But I just want to set the record straight. This is not my oldest daughter. This truly is my wife, okay? I never confirmed that, but I always think she must have been half blind. Well, this is Hudson, our 15-year-old son. In our family, he's won the award for growing the most. And um, I also think he's been eating the most. Back on the farm, he's a very diligent worker, whether it's milking cows, feeding calves, or weeding the garden. And he really enjoys playing guitar, and he's also thrilled to be an uncle to six nephews and two nieces. Joe is a friend of ours from Miami who travels with us. He does a great job playing the guitar, along with a lot of other instruments. He's a skilled web designer, and I really enjoy dominating him in basketball. It's not very funny. Please, please don't laugh at that. Uh, Rebecca is 13 years old, and she enjoys pretty much doing anything in the great outdoors, whether that involves playing sports like ultimate frisbee, football, and basketball. And she's also a gardener and a very astute historian of presidential history. Taylor is 19 years old and plays the banjo. One of his favorite places to be at home is milking the cows. And he loves to study and memorize God's word. And he loves to read books and eat dark chocolate and peanut butter. Dad is our faithful bus driver. And I'm thankful for that. He can get in and out of a lot of very tight situations. He's kind of known for that. And I'm really thankful that he is a godly example of one who takes seriously his time in the word of God and prayer every day. We have five more children that don't travel with us. Three years ago, two of our children got married on a Friday afternoon at a double wedding on our farm. 
The older brother didn't want to be outdone, so he got married the next day in the church we attend. So we had three, wedi- or three children get married in 24 hours' time. So if any of you have a large family, uh, I'm a big believer in doing things as frugal as possible, so that's just one suggestion. You can do however you want, obviously. And since then, two more have gotten married, and as was mentioned, eight grandbabies, two and under. So it's kind of a party when they're all together. You know, I'm sure the older you get, you would probably agree that life is very short, right? I remember when I was young, I couldn't wait till my first day of school. And then I got my driver's license. And then I couldn't wait till 1989 until I got married. And those are different pivotal times in my life. And I thought life just went slow. Now I'm 53, and I think, wow, how fast it went. Some of you wish you were 53, right? I'm just giving you a hard time. But anyhow, the point I'm making is life goes fast, life is brief, and the Lord is going to return in the twinkling of an eye. And life is not a game. We better be right with God. Amen? You know, I've been at a funeral. I've seen a casket laying up, or up front, and I've seen a minister say, well, he or she is off to a better place. Not necessarily true. Only if they were born again believer of Jesus Christ are they off to a better place. We were in a, caught up in a tornado a couple weeks ago over in Alabama, and in a matter of probably one minute or maybe 30 seconds, we had six bus windows blown out of our bus, and the trailer flipped, and some other damage. And when all that was happening, I, I didn't have hardly any time to think it happened so fast. And in my mind, a couple hours later, when I kind of came to my senses, I thought, you know, the Lord's return is going to be even quicker than a tornado. Guys, as a blink of an eye, are you ready tonight to meet him? I want to encourage you, no matter what you're going through here right now, you may have some aches and pains, some health concerns. Maybe you've got some trials or a valley you're going through. Well, let me encourage you. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, this isn't all there is. You can look forward to being in heaven with him someday, and I hope this song that we're going to sing tonight will explain it very well, simply called, I'll Have a New Life.
have a new home in Chrono with three new members. There'll be no more sorrow, no more pain, there'll be no more strife. Just raise in the light of joy, my Savior ready to live. I'll be glad I'll have a new body, praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. I'll have a new home in Chrono with three new members. There'll be no more sorrow, no more pain, there'll be no more strife. Just raise in the light of joy, my Savior ready to live. tonight who is worthy of our praise and our worship and I think sometimes as Christians it can be easy to just be thanking the Lord for what he's done for us instead of along with that praising him for who he is so during this next song I just encourage everyone here to open your hearts in adoration to our immortal and invisible God Immortal, you are not like a man that you change your mind, you change your plan. Invisible, our human eyes can't see the depths of your majesty. You're the God of forever and ever, Omega, the Alpha Omega, beginning and end. We sing hallelujah. We worship in all Immortal, invisible God Immortal, you are not bound by death You're the living God My very breath Invisible, you are not bound by space Cause your glory is filling this place Yes, your glory is filling this place You're the God of forever And ever, oh man The Alpha, Omega Beginning and end We sing hallelujah We worship it all Immortal, invisible God Yet you once died for me To pay my debt And set me free Invisible Yet you'll not always be Cause you're coming to reign as our King And the saints will fall down at your feet You're the God of forever And ever, amen The Alpha, Omega Beginning and end, we sing hallelujah, we worship in all, immortal, invisible God. Oh, we sing hallelujah, we worship in all, immortal, I want to encourage you with a verse from the book of Acts that really has been challenging me recently, and it's 
the account of Peter and John in the temple in Acts chapter 4 and it says that when the chief priests and the rulers when they saw them they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus and I'm afraid that often in our churches it's more about a show it's more about how many people we have how well the program goes and that's more of what people see they don't see as much that we've been with the Lord and we've spent time with him that we've sat at his feet so I encourage you with that and ask you this question tonight do you know the Lord are you abiding under the shadow of the Almighty Psalm 91 he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty I will say of the Lord he is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him, I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Psalm 91. In the early 1900s, there was a young boy in the state of Pennsylvania that uh, him and his siblings and parents and grandparents moved west to Kansas. Out on a farm there in rural Kansas, grew up spending time on the farm, worked hard, and life took some twists and turns, and later in life ended up joining the U.S. military, became a general in the U.S. Army. A little later on in life, got born again just before his inauguration. I'm talking about the 34th President of the United States, Dwight D. Eisenhower. In 1953, when he gave his inauguration speech, the first 90 seconds of his speech, he cried out to an almighty God. You would have thought it was a preacher preaching a message. He cried out to God to help him as he goes into his first presidential term and that God would have his hand upon America in a mighty way. When he got back to the, cap to, to the White House later that day, which, by the way, he rode in an open motorcade with very little security, compare that to today. 25,000 National Guard troops at our nation's capital, and basically no mention of God. 70 years, America has gone wrong. When he got back to the Capitol later that day, Mr. Eisenhower called up Reverend Billy Graham and asked him if he would come and baptize him as soon as possible. On day 10 of his presidency, he was baptized in the White House, the first president and the only president in our nation's history. In fact, the only baptism, to my knowledge, to ever take place in the White House. You might say, well, what's that got to do with anything? I believe 
when God, the power, I'm sure he was not a perfect man, but when the power of God gets a hold of somebody, it makes a difference. And sometimes you can't see the difference for a while. And you might not know this about Mr. Eisenhower, but he's the one that put in God we trust on our stamps. He's the one that put in God we trust as a motto of the United States. He's the one that put under God the Pledge of Allegiance. He's the one that started cabinet meetings with prayer. He's the one that in 1954 um, started the National Prayer Breakfast, among other things. He set in motion what he thought was some godly influence on America. Later in his senior years, he was asked by a reporter what the, most, what the best childhood memory he has. He thought a little bit, and he said it was probably out on that Kansas farm. After a hard day's work, Dad would gather the family together, and he would get out the Bible, and he would read Scripture to us. I'm asking you tonight, does the Bible mean something to you today? Or is it something that you expect your pastor to open on a Sunday morning, or on a Sunday evening, or a Wednesday night, and the rest of the time it's just laying on a shelf? I want to encourage you, don't be Sunday Christians. Get in the Word Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And soak it in and let it transform your life. I think it would do America a lot of good today if we dusted off the family Bible and went back to having family devotions together again. This song says it very well.
good if we all got a little more homesick for heaven. If you watch the news right now, there's a lot of anti-heaven out there. A lot of pain and sorrow. First Sunday night of April 1985, something happened that changed my life. I've got about five years in my life that are wasted years, and some of you can maybe identify. I would give a lot of money to have those five years back. I was not living for the Lord. I was living for the party life for the next drink, for the next party scene. But on this particular Sunday night, I, along with some friends, was going up and down the countryside in a rural Iowa community, vandalizing one property after another. And about 11 o'clock that night, we got pulled over by the police. I remember the officer had me in the back of the police car, and he said, I'm going to take you home to your father and make him promise to fix everything you destroyed, or I'm putting you in jail overnight. And then we'll decide tomorrow what to do with you. I didn't like either option, but I chose the one of going home where I knew I was safe. And that night, I remember driving to the farmhouse there, up to the farmhouse, the officer going to the front door and knocking on the house. Of course, Dad being woke up out of his sleep, coming to the door. Now, none of you parents, I hope, ever have to see a scene like that with an officer with one of your children. But that's what my dad got to witness. Of course, my dad agreed to do what the officer asked. The next morning after breakfast, we got in the 1976 Blue Chevy pickup. And we went up and down that rural Iowa countryside fixing one mailbox after another. It was the longest day of my life. I remember it in a lot of ways like it was yesterday. And I understand God is a forgiving God and he can restore the years the locusts have eaten. But I don't recall ever telling Dad, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? I knew it caused him a lot of pain because he was a well-respected man in our community. Three weeks later, I was in northern Indiana having a good time with some friends one weekend when at 11.30 or 12 o'clock on a Sunday night, I got a phone call that said they found my father dead of a heart attack at age 49. You know, Dad grew up in that Amish Mennonite culture, and maybe some of you can identify with that, but not a lot of words were spoken. We knew how to work hard. We didn't know what the words meant. I'm sorry. Can you forgive me? I love you. I'm proud of you. We would have thought that was bragging. So I didn't hear those words, even though I knew that Dad loved me as a son. And I know many times I wish I could go back and tell my dad I'm sorry. And young people, if you're listening tonight here at church or online, your parents get smarter and wiser the older you get. You may think they don't know much when you're young, but don't take them for granted. God put them there for a reason. And if you're an older person and you have children, love them. And if there's anything in between you and them, that relationship, take care of it now, this side of heaven. Why did I say that? I'm thankful that I got born again. My dad, I remember when he got born again at age 37, the first time I saw him reading the Bible. But I want to say this to you. When I get to heaven, I look forward to going and meeting my father and asking him for forgiveness. I'm sure he's already done it, but that's the first person I'm looking forward to see. Tonight, we're going to sing a song about heaven. And it might just make you a little homesick. 
But if you have unfinished business here on earth, take care of it now before it's too late. Christians were to put on the armor of God and we need armor because we're in a battle a battle of right against wrong of truth against error of righteousness against sin even the sin in our own lives so I want to encourage you to put on the armor of God and prepare to do battle in the Lord's strength to do battle against the devil and against our own flesh, so that we may press onward as good soldiers in the Lord's army. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to
reaching as you hold with the cross of Jesus going on before Christ the royal master leads against the foe forward into battle see his banner go onward Christian soldiers marching as you Soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on soldiers. Do we ever need soldiers today? Amen? We really do. Take your Bibles tonight and turn to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. My text is going to be out of Daniel 6 tonight, but I would like to, after you find that spot, would you put your finger there and would you flip back to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel 1 as well. We're going to read a few verses out of Daniel 1, then we're going to get into Daniel chapter 6, kind of the heart of my message. But before we get into the Word of God, let's just bow for a word of prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, I pray tonight as I bring a message that you have laid on my heart, Lord, I pray that this could be something that would be an encouragement to these folks here in Central Baptist, Lord, and anybody watching online, Lord, that in the day and age and the hour that we are in, that this would truly penetrate the heart of each person here. We ask this in your holy name. Amen. And I might add also, if there's anything you do here tonight that does not line up with Scripture, just toss it out, okay? My, my goal and desire is always to preach 100% the Word of God, and I try to be careful. I don't get my own personal biases in there, all right? That is my heart's desire. You know, before I get in the Word of God, I want to just say one thing. I heard this story in the last year, and I think I'll start it with this. There were three young boys 
a Baptist boy, a Jewish boy, and a Catholic boy standing around talking to each other. And there was an older gentleman uh, standing there looking at them. They said, what do you think those guys will be when they grow up? And the one gentleman said, well, I know what the Catholic boy will be. He's going to be a Catholic. And the other one goes, well, what about the other one? Well, the Jewish boy, he'll be a Jew. What about the other one? The Baptist boy, only God in heaven knows what he might be. I know we laugh at that, but it's really not funny if you think about it. We need to do much better. And I'm speaking to myself. We need to do everything we can by God's help to have. There's no reason we can't with God's word. Not that Baptist makes you Christian. I think you get the point I'm making. It's the point I'm trying to make is we, as many of us here in the Baptist church tonight, as born-again Christians, we should expect the next generation is going to carry on the same vision we have. So what are some examples we can learn from Daniel? Well, a couple things, and I'm, I'll get to Daniel 6, the heart of my message, in a little bit. But in Daniel 1, I was just reading a little bit today. You know, Daniel got taken out of captivity, out of Jerusalem, into Babylon. And they picked those guys in Babylon, or out of Jerusalem, for a couple of reasons. Here's what they did. It says in verse 4 of Daniel 1, Children in whom there was no blemish, but well-favored, skillful in all wisdom, cunning in knowledge and understanding, science and such as had ability in them, to stand in the king's palace. We need some people that can stand. They noticed these were some young people that could stand. If I jumped ahead to verse 8 of Daniel 1, it said, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. So that had to happen from a very young age. Daniel already purposed in his heart. Are our young people today purposing in their heart? Are they looking at the next video game craze or the next like on Instagram or Facebook or social media site, whatever it may be? If you jump ahead to verse 20, it says, And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And Daniel continued even under the first year of King Darius. Just a couple neat things that I noticed that jumped out at me in chapter 1. They were different. My fear is today Christians aren't much different than the rest of our culture around us. And we need to be. And there's some really key things in Daniel chapter 6 that I think can encourage you tonight. We're going to read it in verse 1, Daniel 6, 1. You all know the story of Daniel in the lion's den, right? It was my favorite story growing up, how God spared Daniel. Amazing. I had a, a little child, I had a picture of a lion's den. I pictured it as a hole about five feet around. And you look down, and that room was about 10, 12 feet deep and about maybe half the size of the sanctuary right here. And the lions were just walking around, looking at Daniel with a low rumble in their throat. I can just hear it like yesterday when I was a little boy. But they did nothing to him, right? Right, they spared him. But there's a story behind the lion's den. We all like the lion's den. We all like to know how Daniel was spared. But there's something that happened before the lion's den. Verse 1 of Daniel 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the president and princes, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find none occasion nor fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel. How would it be if people said that about you and me? I can't find anything wrong with him. Except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Wow, 
Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing, that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber, he closed his windows until the pandemic was passed. Is that what it says? No. His windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man shall ask a petition of any god or man within thirty days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Then answered they and said before the king, That Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. I could basically go on and on, but I'll just paraphrase here a bit. The king had no choice. He was backed in a corner. At least he felt like he was. Went ahead and threw Daniel to the lion's den. And I'm sure he was very distraught that evening. What have I done? Sometimes we get ourselves in situations like, what have we done? There's no way out. What can we do? But you know, the king Darius was not following, was not following the Lord God. After that whole lion's den experience, he said this in verse 26. Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations and language that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is a living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth and worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth, who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Wow. He spared him from the den of lions. He did not get eaten by the den of lions. You know, we today in America, folks, I believe we're living in a modern-day lion's den. We really are. We've got everybody out there telling us what to do. All kinds of decrees being signed. All of a sudden, we've got people like Governor Whitmer, Newsom, Wolf. The list could go on and on, telling us what is essential and what is not essential. First of all, assemble together. That's essential. The Bible says, don't forsake the assembly together, even so much the more as you see what? The day approaching. When I was a little boy, preachers would come to our church, and they would preach messages on the last days. And by the way, take some time, your quiet time, and go through 2 Timothy three and four, or even Thessalonians. Paul has some powerful admonition to the New Testament church about the last days. You would think he wrote, Paul wrote that yesterday. But anyhow, we've got all these governors and people, Dr. Fauci and others, telling us what's essential. Folks, it's time we as Americans, we as born-again believers, if you are one of them, and I hope you are, we look at God's word at what's essential. Pastor alluded to it earlier tonight, how important that is that we are a light and we need to be. 
And I'm concerned that we're, we've, we've so gotten like culture around us. We've been so dumbed down or numbed down that we just go with the flow. And so when I look at Daniel, he was a man that obviously didn't go with the flow. I love people that have got some tenacity or as, some, as one person said, some spine, okay, some guts. How many of you like watching a film or a movie about a war hero? Is he somebody that was a wimp? No. If he was a war hero, he had some tenacity. How about looking at some men in Scripture? And they're all over the Bible, but Daniel's the one we're talking about tonight that had some tenacity. And it started when he was a little boy. He purposed in his heart. He purposed in his heart to live for God and do what God wants him to do. Verse 10 of Daniel 6 is a verse that I'm going to focus on tonight. It says, When Daniel knew the writing was signed, he went in his house and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. What are you and I doing aforetime? I really believe in America we're in the lion's den. We really are. You know, different people have believed in the last 30 days, and I think it's right, it's true, that there's an increased, there's increased uh, what's the word I use, um, attitude against Christianity in our nation. You know, America was founded on biblical principles. I truly believe many of the founders were born again. I believe many have understood God's word. Did they, were they all saved? Probably not. But if you look at the Constitution, if you go to Washington, D.C., and you look at our monuments, there's scripture all throughout it. But today they're trying to cancel culture and take all that away. But I'm here to say God is still on the throne. He really is. So what did Daniel do aforetime? Well, you know, there are three things that he did. I call them the three C's. Number one is consistency. A man of incredible consistency. He prayed to God three times a day as he did aforetime. He didn't all of a sudden, when he heard about the decree, decide, hey, I better go to my prayer closet, or I better quick build a prayer closet. No, he did it three times a day. When crisis comes, you find out exactly what people are made of. Consistency, which is an earmark of solid leadership and serious character, could also be a term that we would use to define Daniel. Webster's Dictionary says, consistency means holding together firm, agreeing in harmony, compatible, holding to the same principle or practice. People like Moses, Joseph, Abraham, John the Baptist, Paul, others, were men of consistency. I would not put Demas in that mix. He forsook Paul, okay? But I want to be a man, and, my, and I hope you want to be men and women of consistency. Very, very important. In the military, your life will often depend on consistency. In the Olympics, he or she that wins a gold medal, they didn't get there because they ate an extra bowl of Wheaties that morning. They were consistently practicing day after day after day after day. Years ago in Indiana, if any of you, anybody from Indiana here? A few of you. So if you follow basketball in the 80s, you might remember the name Steve Alford. Played for the Indiana Hoosers. Grew up in Newcastle, Indiana. And as a high school basketball player, he wasn't that tall, about 6'6", six, 6'1", six, and, and basketball standards, that's not super tall. He would shoot 100 free throws before he left practice. And sometimes they say Steve Alford would be at the gym for three, four, five hours until he made the 100 in a row. He entered college. And then in college, he, I think the last I know, he still held the all-time leading record for free throw percentage around 94, 95% throughout his college career. But he had a consistent practice he did every time. When he would go to the free throw line, he would do this. He would reach down, he'd pull up his socks, he'd pull up his shorts, he'd dribble three times, and he'd shoot. He did this so consistently that the fans at the game would yell, shorts, socks, swish. 
before the ball would ever even go through the rim. He was a man of tremendous consistency. We need to understand the necessity tonight of consistency. It could be a trait that enables you to make it through your dark valley. It's what drew Daniel to his knees. Daniel benefited from the consistency of his previous walk with God. It could be the friend that it can encourage you to press on. We need to develop an appetite for consistency. A God-honoring walk with our Heavenly Father does not come by chance, luck, or good intentions. I'm sure we've all seen people that we would say are strong, dynamic Christians. And you might think, wow, they just got lucky. No, they didn't just get lucky. You might not know how much time they spent in their prayer closet, how much they did behind the scenes. God knows. This appetite should not be feasting on self-promoting or pharisaical motive. Our motive should be for God's glory. And we should desire consistency in our life for his glory alone. So if you're a Christian tonight, I would challenge you in your life. How consistent are you in your Bible reading, in your witnessing, in your prayer time, in your attitude, just your daily walk with the Lord? Are you a man or woman that is consistent? My wife and I were just talking about it today. There's some things in our life we need to do to be more consistent. Daniel continued to pray because of his consistency and because of his convictions. I think we would all do well to follow Daniel's example and let's not start to wait let's not wait to start praying until the lions wake up. Let's be praying before they wake up. What's the second reason that Daniel did what he did? The second C is convictions. And I could do a whole message and I have done on this. But I'll just say this. He could have closed his windows for 30 days until the pandemic was passed, but he didn't. He knew people were watching him and he pressed on. He was a man of convictions. There's a difference between convictions as a difference between preferences, okay? I'm wearing a suit tonight because of a preference. I don't know that I really would take, no, I wouldn't die for my suit tonight. You follow what I'm saying? But there's things that I would die for. So I just want to encourage you, don't must, muddy the waters between the two, but make sure if you're a man or a woman that don't have convictions, doesn't have convictions, pray that God would give you some, okay? The third C, because of his confidence. He believed that God answered prayer. He prayed in front of an open window toward Jerusalem. It had been about 70 years since he was in Jerusalem. But Daniel kept right on praying. He didn't back down. You know, I'm just going to share this testimony. We were at a church this morning, Faith Baptist over in Palatka, um, Florida, of course. And uh, Pastor Robert Bush, I think is his name. You may not know him. I'd never met him before. He's a young pastor, probably only been pastoring about a year, year and a half. And I walked into that church this morning early on to set up. And I was asking him how things were going, and he was more or less a first-generation Christian, did not grow up in a Christian home. His wife grew up Catholic. So he would say by a lot of standards, a lot of life against him. He's, he's trying to do right. He's, he's doing great. And I don't know if he's listening tonight, but something happened today that I will not forget. He was telling me how he's invited so many people to the services, and he works at Publix part-time, and he's inviting his coworkers. And he said, soon, right before he got there, the church had a split, and he showed up, and there was about 14 people there. So it's a very small church, and you can say by humanistic standards, not a lot of going on because we tend to measure churches by numbers, unfortunately. We just do. It's kind of human nature. But he said to me, I'm praying for 50 people today. We've never had a service of 50 people. So I shared that with my family when we had our prayer time out on our bus before the service. And we're up front. We're singing. Unbeknownst to me, my boys are doing what? They're counting the audience. They're counting the audience. They're not thinking about the song, okay? They're counting the audience. 
And my one son counted, and he came up with 48. So he goes out the back hallway of the church and walks down to the kitchen. He finds two ladies in the kitchen making dinner. There's our 50. I called the pastor later, and I said, do you know how many people you had? You told me you were praying for today. He goes, yeah, 50, but I know we didn't hit it, he said. He said, yeah, you did. He said, really? He said, yeah, I had a son that counted, and that's not counting our family. You had 50. Now, you might say, what's that got to do? He was praying. He was consistent. He was consistent. And he had confidence. His faith may have been weak, but I think it got strengthened after today. Folks, we way underestimate the God Daniel served. For many years, I thought the God Daniel served was the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is the same God you and I can serve today. It really is. I want to encourage you in this thought. One cannot be truly prepared to experience the end of the days, and we are in the end of the days, without knowing the ancient of days. Daniel 7, verse 9. This means, this means placing one's trust in God, believing in the resurrection of his son, and confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. He is King of kings, Lord of lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and end. I love my God. I don't know about you, you, but he took me out of that fiery, or out of that pit, out of that fiery hell, and I get to have eternity with him, and I am excited about that. Do I deserve heaven? Absolutely not. But he paid the ultimate price. I wish my dad could have known that when he was alive, but dad never saw that. In Romans 10, verse 9, it simply says, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you know right now, while there's millions of people, or millions of people spending millions of dollars for security and making sure they're fine and going to get vaccinated and all this, because they think the life here on earth is the only life they have. And by the way, on a side note, this is not my message. Don't take the vaccine until you study it out. That's totally free. It's my opinion. But it's made from aborted fetuses or some of the products are, it's not all it's cracked up to be. I'm not here to stir the pot tonight, but I'm just saying I've done a lot of research on this. But people are spending millions in America today because of security. We want our 401ks. We want everything. I'm, I'm guilty of some of this too. We want everything just right. But you know what? This life on earth isn't all there is. It goes very, very briefly. And then there's a judgment. And I want you to hear those words on judgment day. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Not depart from me, I never knew you. King Agrippa said to Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to become a Christian. You've probably heard many messages from this pul pulpit by Brother Bloom, and I'm sure he's challenged you to follow Jesus Christ. But I don't want to just assume everybody's been here. Maybe somebody came off the street tonight and just saw a picture of a family, and they were curious, and they came out tonight. Maybe you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I want to encourage you tonight get right with God. Would you stand? Because we're going to have an invitation here in a minute. But maybe you're here tonight and you're saying, you know, if I was thrown in a lion's den, or if there was the decree passed, I have some things in my life that are very inconsistent. I wouldn't have confidence because I don't have many convictions. Yes, I got born again, but I do not, I do not rely on the power of an almighty God. I couldn't boldly say, I will stand no matter what. 
Folks, America is different than it was in Dwight Eisenhower's day. It's different than it was in our parents' and grandparents' day. Yes, they had heartaches. They had the Great Depression. We had the Civil War. But this is a country that's becoming increasingly anti-Christian. So tonight, I'm not saying that to put fear on you. I'm saying that just because I'm honest. I'm being honest, and I love you. The good news is, tonight in China, President Xi is concerned because Christianity is growing at such a rapid rate, he doesn't hardly know what to do. And that's under the umbrella of persecution. Countries around the world that are suffering persecution, they're growing in Christ. Would you bow your heads tonight?